This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Boy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we're going to talk with Jerry Bolander. He's from The Daily MBA. And on today's topic, we really want to talk about the power of storytelling and kind of how it makes for really great, fantastic content. Hey Jerry, how are you today? I'm doing well, Kevin. How, how are you today? I'm perfectly fine. It's really cold and gloomy here today. <laughs> so kind of. Oh, that's right. You are yeah. on the East Coast in New York. I am on the West Coast in sunny, but on fire or california so oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess we'll take the good with the bad yeah it's daylight savings time here it's, it's already 4 30 p.m here and it's already super dark <laughs> yeah i i'm not a fan of daylight savings time not a fan oh yeah no no but yeah so you know we i found you through the daily mba which is a really popular blog i know you got a few hundred visitors a month but can i tell me a little about your background and sort of kind of how you started this blog or kind of how you got into writing about, you know, entrepreneurship and sort of storytelling in general? Yeah, sure. So I started the blog about 10 years ago and I was actually getting my MBA. I was at a big company and wanted to write about what I was experiencing going through an MBA program while working and as an engineer, because my background is in electrical engineering. So I thought the best way to do that would be to blog about, you know, all the things that I was learning in graduate school. And I also was really fond of writing. Uh, when I was in college, I actually did extremely well on all my writing assignments and I love to write essays and reports and for whatever reason, I'm good at it. So starting the blog was just a great way to have that outlet and also to internalize what I was learning in graduate school. And so that sort of started me down the journey of actually writing. Now, the journey to actually writing well and telling better stories happened a lot later. But through the practice of writing and pitching and you know communicating, which anyone that's in business or just even in engineering, communication is pretty critical to your success. You need to be able to tell people your ideas so that they'll give you money for them. I started to realize that I needed to dig a little bit more into what made story tick, mm -hmm. how people were moved by story. I saw people like Brian Clark over at Copyblogger uh, doing extremely well. So I followed him and started to really, you know, dig into what would make compelling content and compelling stories. Mm -hmm. Then about, I think it's been about three years, uh, about three years ago, I found this method called the story grid and story grid is a framework on how to tell better stories in a more quantitative objective way, as opposed to the subjective way of, and I'm sure all of us that have been writing or have gotten feedback on our writing, like, yeah, I just didn't get it, man. I don't know why. It's just like, it's not doing it for me. And I'm like, ah, I don't, 
how do I fix it, right? Yep. So Sean Coyne, the author of the story, Grid, came up with a method that happened to use spreadsheets and quantitative, some quantitative analysis yeah. and some, uh, some real good research and theory on story. And so I started studying that and wrote another book loosely based on the method called the entrepreneur ethos, which is sort of my take on how to be a better entrepreneur. And sort of after that, I just started really getting into telling stories that work. How am I going to move people to action? And the rest they say is history, I guess. With this method, the story grid, how did you kind of find it? Was it from the copy blogger? Is that same place or was it sort of something that you came upon while just like your years of writing and researching? I actually found out about it from a friend of mine, Mark McGinnis over at Lateral Action. He, he does a podcast called The 21st Century Creative. And I had been his, I mean, he had been my, my coach actually, I don't know, a couple of years, maybe like five or six years ago. And, you know, we were in touch and we talk and chat about things. And he said, hey, did you see what they're doing over at this story grid thing? And I'm all, story grid, what's that? And immediately I'm like, oh, wow. This is pretty amazing. And to put it into context, Sean Coyne has been an editor for over 25 years. He is also Stephen Pressfield's partner at Black Irish Books. And if any of you know who Stephen Pressfield is, all of you should know who Stephen Pressfield is. <laughs> he wrote the, the Warrior's Ethos. He wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. He wrote Gates of Fire, you know, which is about the Spartans and just the guy's personal hero of mine, personal writing hero of mine. And just like, wow, <laughs> anything that he's involved with, I want to check out. So sort of found it from there through a friend. Okay, perfect. And on the going with sort of maybe storytelling, but what about, I know you mentioned you had a coach and a little different than storytelling, but uh, I've talked to other entrepreneurs as well. And most of them are kind of against having coaches or somebody to sort of to look up to, or uh, some people feel weird about it. What was your thoughts about getting a coach and sort of how did you know you needed one? Well, I was stuck creatively and I didn't know what the next thing I was going to do. I had a lot of great ideas, especially for books and products. I mean, I have what, 10, 20, what I think are good ideas a day. It turns yeah. out I don't have that many that are great, but I get excited. I'm like, oh man, what a great thing. And I really needed someone that I could trust to tell me if I was full of shit. And, you know, in the entrepreneur world, you know, a lot of us, uh, you look at the external facade and it all looks like, you know, it's always sunny in startup land. I'm crushing it, making my revs, blah, 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 blah. You know, drive them the one metric that matters. And it's all bullshit because it, it's clearly can't be that great because most of us fail, right? I mean, nine out of 10 of us, eventually our companies go away. So, I mean, the reason why I wrote the book, The Entrepreneur Ethos was to dive into that internal mindset and how you can be more sustainable and resilient and sort of go through that path. And I came to that conclusion because as I thought about how am I going to get really good feedback on some of these ideas, how am I going to have that counterbalance to my excitement over a potentially good or bad idea. And I had had mentors and, in you know, I still do in my uh, professional life. And, 
you know, they can only get you so far. And when I really wanted to take it to the next level in terms of creativity and pushing myself to do something that was a little bit outside my comfort zone, talk to Mark McGinnis, you know, he's a creative coach and it was a little apprehensive. I won't lie. <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit weird to be like coach, you know, what do I do? But, you know, I have a background in sports. You know, I played sports in high school. I'm an endurance athlete. So I'm used to the, yeah, you got to have a coach to help you excel. So it wasn't too big a jump, but no, I, I could see how that could be major barrier for some. And I would just say, go for it. Makes you yeah. a lot better for sure. Yeah, no, I think it's a great thing as well. Cause even for me, I have a coach as well. I have two coaches. I have like a public speaking coach for just presentations. And then I, have, I also have another one just on speaking itself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I go, I guess twice a week for I've been doing going for the past year. And it's great. Kind of what you said, you can talk to them. They give you great advice because you're paying, for paying them and they'll actually break everything down versus a friend that will give you great advice, you know, for maybe a month, but you need consistency and some sort of schedule with somebody that will say like, okay, let's, let's get better. And for me, with anything we do with like speeching or public speaking, we record it and then we watch it together and we say, this is where it went wrong. Right. So it gives you great, great accountability, kind of like any sports athletes. And people always ask me this question too. That's why I kind of asked, asked it for you is I always tell people like, look at the great players that you probably follow LeBron, Kyrie, you know, they have coaches, they still need help as well. They're great, but they always say you can always get better because they're going to nitpick the little stuff. And that's sort of what you want to go to that next level. Like you said. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with therapy. You know, there's a lot of stigma about therapy. I mean, I, I go to therapy every week. I've been doing that for a long time, actually, ever since my late wife, Jane passed away uh, two and a half years ago. It's the only way I can, you know, have a space where I can figure out my feelings on it, which, you know, is, you know, anger, rage, grief, and sorrow. Um, and that's how you get better by knowing that you need some help. Yep. Just like hiring a firm to do something you don't know how to do, whether it be copy or books or storytelling or engineering or whatever. Because once you understand the limitations that you have, then you can start breaking down those limitations and expanding and doing much better things. And what I've found over my life is that the biggest breakthroughs have come from not only pushing outside where I'm comfortable or being comfortable with being uncomfortable in a situation, but then seeking out those people that can tell me the way, yep. give me the journey on how I can be better. It's hard to do and admit <laughs> that you don't know everything, but I know I don't know everything. That's the, the one certainty I know in life is that I don't know everything. That's <laughs> like yeah, guaranteed, that, right? Guaranteed. That, yeah, that is exactly the same way I feel. Like when I go to my coach and I, I listen to him speak and say things, I'm just like, wow. He, you're just so like a hundred times better than me. Like, I wish I was this good. And it just like makes you want to get better. You, maybe you talk about this in your book, but this is something I hear about a lot too. Cause I, I was also living in, out in California doing startups back when I graduated college, that story where all entrepreneurs are crushing it and doing well. I would always remember going out to parties with friends or going up to like startup weekends and meetups and everybody was doing well in their startup. But it goes back to, you said like 90% of startups fail. How come, you know, maybe you talk about this in your book, but how come people tell this story a lot to everybody? Like, why is it such a, like a resonating story for everybody? It's like, oh yeah, I'm doing so well. 
why don't people ever tell like the truth about how it's really going? Part of it's the culture and the ego of being an entrepreneur. I mean, honestly, we have to, you know, what's the job of the entrepreneur? Create something from nothing, seduce investors to put money in some stupid, crazy idea that everyone knows probably won't work. And then better still, go seduce other customers to give you money for some knucklehead idea that like, who the heck needs that, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to have some hubris. You got to have some confidence. You have to have all those things wrapped into one. I mean, if you're not confident you're going to make it, who's going to be confident in you, right? Other than your mother, maybe not even your mother, right? Yep. So it's the hubris of Silicon Valley that makes it that everyone has to be crushing it. And oh yeah, I'm just doing such a great thing. And yeah, everything's great. Well, it's not, it's, it's hardly ever sunny in startup land, right? Nope. And that's the reason why I wrote the book because I was at 500 startups, an incubator that's here in San Francisco with one of my companies. And I was, you know, I'm a bit older <laughs> than most. So, and I was sort of like the elder, I wouldn't say elder statesman. I mean, there were actually some people older than me, the CEO of my company, Lab Sensor Solutions, the one that I was there with, you know, Jeff was older than I was. He's actually one of my mentors and I respect him a lot. But what would happen is we would, we'd get all these young entrepreneurs asking us questions. It's like, hey, you guys seem like you know what you're doing or you guys seem pretty calm and relaxed and like you've been here, done that, right? And like, yeah, we have. And as you start talking to them, started to realize that this cult of personality that you see in the media and all the, hey, you know, everything's great. And of course I've got my a round done, you know, I'm oversubscribed or, you know, of course I went to Y Combinator. I'm growing at 20% per week or 20 per whatever the metric, their yeah. metrics are, you know, yep. and you talk to them and you get them in a room, you know, where no one's watching. And they're like, I am scared to death yep. that I can't get off this treadmill. I have no idea how I'm going to grow my revenue next month. I don't even know why people give us money. I got to hire people. I can't. I mean, it was just everything that we just knew in our hearts people had problems with. So I think it's, I think it is changing a little bit um, because it's getting harder to raise money. It's getting harder to do all the growth hacking that everyone else is doing. And legitimately, I personally think that the more pragmatic you are as an entrepreneur, the actually the more successful you'll be. So that's the reason I also wrote the book was I wanted to not only put down my philosophy, but I interviewed a bunch of people. I did a bunch of research and I wanted to put forth that this is a journey. Your company today may not survive, but that doesn't mean you can't mm -hmm. do another one. And the sooner you realize that failure is an option, but never the end result, the happier you'll be. I also think the same thing is also changing too. the narrative. I think people are becoming more vulnerable. And I think it just starts off with a group of people just sort of showing people that it is really hard to build a startup. I know there's a podcast. I'm not sure if you heard it called. It's by, I think it's Justin Jackson. Have you heard of it? Where he's building like Transmitter, which is like a podcast platform. No, no, I haven't So heard of it. Him, and his, him and his partner, they're based out of Chicago. 
and they're just their podcast is just about them building the startup from like nothing to you know right now i think they're doing like 30k monthly 30k mrrr monthly recurring revenue and pretty much in like his most recent episode he just kind of talks about how like people always see me on the podcast and like they finally can feel it in my voice that I'm happy. And he's just like, yeah, because for the past year and a half, we've been like struggling to make any money or even like pay ourselves or, or you know, support our family because we have kids. And it's yeah. just like sure shows like vulnerability. And he's saying that's how they've been able to also get a lot of great press and also great um, people support them because people want to support these businesses that are run by people that actually show you, hey, this isn't easy. It's hard for us to get business. Of course, when you're competing with like all the venture funded startups that are like you said before, it's just like grow, 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 right? So they're doing all these crazy growth hacks. Yeah, it's called Transistor. Yeah, Transistor.fm, like the, the podcast. And yeah, so he's based in Canada. His partner is based in Chicago. And this is kind of what they talk about. It's just building their company and all the challenges that they see. They talk about outages that happen, how they stayed up all night fixing some issues how they screw up emails, right? It shows you like, it's, it's interesting. I, I love listening to it because it just shows you like- Well, it, yeah, it shows that they're human, yep. right? And I think that's the most powerful thing about stories is, is the authenticity of them. Because we all know <laughs> that none of us are perfect, right? And when you put up the facade that everything's, again, everything's sunny in startup land, mm -hmm. after a while, people will call you out on your bullshit. You know, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating thing because really you kind of want to put entrepreneurs on a pedestal and say, wow, I could never do that. I mean, as a listener in some cases, but then you also want to have some sense or some inkling that, wow, they're just like me. Yep. Or you know what, maybe I could do this too. And I, and that, that's, I think, an important point because I feel that 21st century skills are going to be entrepreneurial skills. I mean, the trends there, everything is going that way. And I want more people to be entrepreneurs, but I also want pe more people to understand that it's just not that easy and to be cognizant of the, that fact and then not to be let down if they fail not to be let down if it's not going perfect, because I think that's bad. You know, that, yep. that's going to prevent a lot of people from getting in the business or getting into starting their own company, or even those that are marginalized and don't have the resources like I have, or you have, we don't want to dissuade them from giving it a try. Exactly. And even that sort of story of kind of, I mean, the story I heard growing up too, when I was uh, young for, I guess, entrepreneurship is like, you need to be like 18 or 19 or 20 to have a startup like super young and if you're much older you'll never be successful but like i feel like that's sort of the story that you've heard because like all the articles and press only want to write about that but i don't think that's true anymore oh no no yeah. it's not in fact the average ceo of a startup is 45. yeah and that just makes more sense to me because yeah. for me i'm 30 right now and mm -hmm. as i've gotten older and done more startups done more projects i just know more so like this thing i'm working on right now is yeah. just it's just so it's just like but like that's all you it's hear and then people get discouraged like you said it's like people get discouraged like oh my god i talk to my friends like oh i'm 27 i can't do it i'm like you're much younger than me like yeah. i'm just starting right now again oh yeah, yeah for sure i mean there's a huge movement now for what are called silver fox entrepreneurs so those in their 50s and 60s that are 
kind of the unretirement movement. I don't know if you've heard of that. I mean, when, when you're my age, you know, I'm, I'm an old <laughs> crotchety 48. <laughs> you start to, when you're, when you're closer, you know, to the, to, to looking up at the daisies as opposed to looking down at the daisies, you know, you, you tend to look at these things, you know, when AARP starts to target you in the stupid Facebook ads, then you start to get a little upset. You're like, I am not that old, but <laughs> yeah. you, you also see these trends that are quite remarkable. Um, and partly because, you know, the gen X generation, which is my generation, they're not at risk retirement yet, but then they realize a lot of them are realizing like, well, you know, I'm not gonna be able to retire at 65. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to have to go longer or, Hey, you know, I really want a, you know, kids are out of the house or I don't have kids and I want to have a better life. I want to downsize or I want to, you know, do something that's meaningful. So they choose entrepreneurship because this is probably the best time to be an entrepreneur. And it also makes sense too, because with this whole like entrepreneurship thing that's happening and also I feel like there's a whole new narrative right now with sort of remote work and, and working from home and sort of not having to go to an office every day and waste two or three hours on commuting. I feel like that's a big story I'm hearing right now where people like remote work is the future. And even for my company, we have a lot of remote employees. It just makes it so much easier for everybody to collaborate and, you know, work together on time. Do you, do you kind of sense that as well when, when you're talking to other entrepreneurs? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of times what you'll see is companies, I mean, especially now companies will have a headquarters in Silicon Valley or San Francisco, but dev will be in Austin or Chicago or even Nashville or the East coast. Like they don't need to have the talent in Silicon Valley. One, because it's hard to find. I mean, it's expensive, but more importantly, I mean, all of those other tech hubs, connected with the internet. There's big companies there. There's talent. There's people that want a lifestyle that's different than the Silicon Valley lifestyle. I mean, you know, they want to live in a place that's affordable and yep. not on fire. You know? yep. So um, it's, it's like a huge part of why I feel that entrepreneurial skills are going to be the skills of the 21st century. Because when you look at how work has changed, and this is how again, even in storytelling, the reason why these stories are so important and that we get them out and that we talk like we're talking is that we need to move people to take action. And the way people take action is they hear a story, it relates to them. They do a little more of digging or research and they say, you know what? I could do that too. Hmm. I want to do that. Or, oh, it's, I don't have to be in Silicon Valley to start a company. So yeah, that trend is going to continue because I mean, the internet is pretty much democratized communication. You can work anywhere. There's an internet connection. You can work anywhere. There's a cafe, right? Yep. You know, some caffeine and boom, you're off and running, you know, with the fiber and the rework and all those fiber. Yeah. You know, how, for like, when you work with entrepreneurs, how crucial is it, do you tell them it is for like, you know, with storytelling, storytelling for like writing great content for their blogs, either for their personal blogs or for their, you know, business blogs. For example, I've seen some entrepreneurs out there in some SaaS companies, similar to what we're saying before with Transistor, is they'll just write about their online journey. And are you seeing that as a great way to produce, you know, content that's unique and different than what people are writing? Or sort of what, how do you sort of, you know, go through that? I tell them that story is the most important thing they can focus on because everything is driven 
from a good story. And the more authentic, the more unique, and the more real it can be, the better it is. Because what are we trying to do with a story? Ultimately, like any good content, we want the person reading it or listening to it or viewing it to say, I like you. Mm-hmm. I want to buy something from you. Right? And sometimes that journey takes a minute. Sometimes that journey takes, you know, a year, two years, millennia. I won't, not a millennia, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And be, because why? Because ultimately, when you're a business person, and your job is to get above all the noise that's out there. And there's a lot of noise. Yep. I mean, it's inundated with content. People are distracted. They have a lot going on. Ultimately, what's going to win is a clear, concise, and compelling story that is authentic to who you are. Mm-hmm. Because people can sniff out inauthentic stories. It's... In our DNA, right? I mean, all of us that are alive listening to this now had ancestors who told better stories than the ones that didn't. We learned where the water was. We learned how to stay away from a saber-toothed tiger. We learned how to, you know, smelt metal. We learned, I mean, those are the, from a practical point of view, a story that our ancestors told each other around the campfire. So it's natural for us to not only want to gravitate towards stories that educate us, teach us, or solve a problem for us, but also we want to listen to people that we know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you're working with these other entrepreneurs, do you have like some sort of framework or blueprint in place for them sort of to get these stories out, to, to, to talk to other people, or to, to discuss, write about, or even speak about how do you sort of help people, you know, get, get their best stories out? Because everybody has a story. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's where the story grid framework comes in. Uh, I use that along with the hero's journey, along with um, techniques from writing scripts and novels and nonfiction books to sort of frame how we're going to talk about the company and also the founder. A lot of times the founder... Is, is a pretty big component of the story because people always want to know, well, how'd you start your company, right? Mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. they want to know the origin story, right? That's such, a, that's so such the, a popular one. Everybody wants to know that story. Well, because it's usually pretty interesting, right? So it's like, so Kevin, you grew up in, you know, Fresno, <laughs> you know, your dad was a oil worker out in the fields and then you decided to like learn how to code on a, on a what? On, a, on an Apple II? How'd you get that? You know what I mean? Like people want to know, right? Because they see a little bit of themselves in that, or at least they want to. So what I always do is I start off, everything revolves around the simple narrative that we're going to tell the rest of the world and ourselves about why the company exists. That's what I call the PR narrative. And it's the tip of the spear for all other communications. If you don't have a clear, concise, and compelling PR narrative, you're, you're done. I mean, no one, you will have muddled communication. All your content won't be focused. People will just not understand what you do. And that clear and compelling and concise narrative 
is something that your grandmother needs to understand. Mm-hmm. Like you need to be able to explain it to her or your five-year-old nephew or great grandpa or whatever, you know, <laughs> generational thing you want to use because a lot of times, especially for tech startups, they tend to focus too much on the technology and that can be to their detriment because no one understands the technology. No one understands what you do better than you do. And it's not disparaging to dumb down what you do because the stories that we tell others and ourselves have to resonate, but they also have to be repeated. Mm-hmm. So the most powerful story is a story that gets repeated. So, you know, memes are very, you know, are modern day pieces of knowledge <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that reproduce. Right. And, and of course they've got awesome memes that you can look at on the internet, but yeah. I mean, you know, your company's story needs to be a meme so that, you know, if I know what you do, Kevin, and someone needs your services and I say, Hey, I got this friend, Kevin, he does something like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is what he does. And if I can repeat your story to someone else, then it just grows like wildfire. Yep. Eventually now everyone will come. Oh yeah. Hey, Jerry told me about you, Kevin. Yeah. You know, I need some Facebook stuff or, Hey, I need some more content or, Oh yeah, that'd be great. Can we, you know, and although the word of mouth is, you know, for scale, not as efficient as ads or, you know, searching on the internet, it's the same concept. What we want for content is for people to share it, which means it's word of mouth. It's social proof. It just so happens to be on the internet where it can go off to more people than the dozen or so that are in our immediate area. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. And how do you, how do you sort of work with other entrepreneurs or people that run right stories, but you know, might think that their work isn't good enough or great, or they want to be perfect. As an entrepreneur, you kind of want to go with your best foot forward. How do you sort of work with these people that maybe are lacking the skill, or, but, but know they need it? I mean, usually I start off with, with the why. Well, why did you start this business? What in you compelled you to give up your crappy corporate coffee, you know, your 401k and your, you know, two week at two weeks a year vacation or whatever, right? You know, the, the stuff that as entrepreneurs, we cringe at at times to go off in this foolhardy adventure because generally it's foolhardy. Like, yeah. why would you risk your time, talent and treasure, your reputation, all of the, you know, <laughs> hormones that are going to be released when you're stressed about payroll why? Tell me why. And the superficial answers are always like, oh, I want the money. I want to be my own boss. You know, screw the man. I'm going to be, I'm going to crush it. And then you're like, okay, yeah. Well, everyone says that. Now tell me why. Tell me internally in your heart, in your soul. What is it if none of that fame, fortune, prestige, and external stuff mattered? Why do you get up in the morning to do this? Yep. And I could almost say with certainty, that's a great story. Yep. And then you're sort of trying to pull that out from them so they can say it and say, this is, this is how you're, you're going to be authentic. And this is where we're going to start off from. Yeah. So- Origin stories are always the best place to start because not only does a founder know that intimately because it, they lived it, it's also the genesis of why the company exists. Mm-hmm. 
It's fertile ground for story material. I want to go loop around to talk about maybe your, your blog that you have, the Daily MBA. You said you've been running that since 2009. Kind of, you know, maybe talk a little bit that story about that, how that started. I know you mentioned it when you, it was one where you were getting your MBA. Sort of how has that grown and sort of how has it helped you to become a better entrepreneur as well? Yeah. So, so like I said before, I, I started it. It might even be older than that. <laughs> now that I think about it, I graduated. Uh, yeah, I graduated from graduate school in 2001. So it's probably longer than that. Almost, oh, dare I say, almost 20 years. Uh, wow. This is what happens when you get older. You sort of lose track of time. <laughs> so yeah. me, it's like time is eternal. I would say that the, the, the great thing about the blog is, is that I now I get a lot of inbound traffic from people just like you, because I know you, you just published. Yep. I just published one of your pieces on there. Uh, that really respect what I'm doing, like the fact that I'm, you know, catering to entrepreneurs and obviously and business people. And I get to like really talk to and engage with interesting people. And, you know, some of it can sometimes be a waste of time, but more often than not, you know, I get to meet people like you. Mm-hmm. We get to talk about cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I get a lot of good content. And for me, it's made me a better entrepreneur because I can see the trends that are happening and what people pitch me (laughs) is a pretty good indication of like, Oh, so this is what's hot now. Um, you know, and so I've I've had a lot of really good success with it. I mean, it's obviously could be more successful. Of course, everyone should go and sign up for my newsletter and tell all your friends, but it's been a great, a great journey and really fun. And, and then also with like your, with your uh, blog, how have you kind of like, as a, just a entrepreneur, how have you grown it organically? I see that you're, you're ranked for a lot of keywords on Google. Are you sort of, do you focus on that? Or is just like writing? One thing that I, when I talk to entrepreneurs is similar to that storytelling is they want to tell a story about what they have, but they're also really focused on SEO. Like, Hey, I need to write for Google. I need to write for this. How do you think about that? when you're trying to get a story out, but also saying like, Hey, people are searching for this type of story. Well, I just started really focusing on SEO about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would normally do is write what interests me. And then randomly yeah. that would like, Oh, people are interested in that too. And it also just so happens that, you know, I've been around for a long time. So a lot of the, the stuff I've done in the past, people link to when, and that's really wonderful. And I, I appreciate all of that. But when I started promoting the book, you know, cause the book came out in 2017, I started to go on a lot of podcasts and I would guest post and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'd get a bunch of link backs to the blog and people would talk about the book and it was really great. And all of a sudden, you know, I started to see more traffic and almost random, random is probably a the wrong word, but it seemed almost <laughs> random. Like, yeah. wow, where's all this traffic coming from? Then what happened was I was, I was listening to, uh, I think it's called my first million podcast by the hustle. Right. And I'm a big fan of the hustle newsletter. Everyone should subscribe to it. And Sam Parr, who's the CEO mentioned this tool and it was under the context of, so Sam, if you were to start a business today, what would you do? And he's like, oh, I'd get a Hrefs account 
And I would go search for keywords, right? <laughs> what people are looking for. And I would just write content for that. And I'm all hrefs. What, what's hrefs, right? Yeah. You know? And so I looked into it and I'm like, oh, well, this is an SEO tool and you can do a bunch of stuff. And I, so I literally just started, got an account and I started going through their tutorials and I started to do a lot of the stuff that they were saying to do. And what I realized was, even though there are certain things that I want to talk about, like, and to be honest, I have a pretty broad range of things I like to talk about and discuss. And so I'm, I don't mind, I'll write on anything within reason. But I also realized that if I wanted my content to be successful, if I wanted people to read it, or more importantly, wanted to get it up high in SEO, I would have to do a little more work and figure out if the topic that I was interested in, other people were interested in. Just like if you're an entrepreneur and you have a product, you could love the product, but if no one, no one yeah. wants to buy it, you really have a business. So I uh, was a bit more cognizant of, oh, is that really a topic I want to cover? If I do cover it, what are the keywords I'm going to need to, to use? What are some of the resources? You know? And so I just would spend more time really thinking about content. And turns out that it, it actually works. <laughs> so yeah. It's been pretty cool. And I think the advice I give entrepreneurs is depending on the market you're in, there's clearly going to be competitors. You hope if there's no competitors, there's really no market. You know, go figure out what they're talking about. Go figure out if you can do a different take on it. And if you want to write your origin story, great, write your origin story. But you're also going to have to write for the market. So if you want people to find you, you need to write about what people are searching for. Yep. And a mix of that is really good, right? Yeah, I love Ahrefs. It's probably like one of the best tools that I ever use. And yeah, like the, the tool, I don't really know if people know about the tool that much but it's like a beast of a SaaS company as well. I think it's like oh. over a hundred million dollars ARR. Oh, self great. bootstrapped yeah. founders, right? And for sure. for, and yeah, cause I'm looking at your website and you have, you're ranking for over like 4,000 keywords. So you're doing really well. And you have about over 4,000 like backlinks, which, you know, like I said before, people just link to you organically because yeah. great content. Yeah, so maybe Ahrefs, <laughs> will give us a give us a shout out man or yeah give, give us a free account another yeah no i'll pay for that thing anytime I ahrefs is so expensive it's it is crazy <laughs> it is but compared to so that that's true yeah. but compared to some of the other tools i use for pr and marketing it's actually pretty reasonable so if you want a master's <laughs> class on how to write content for seo go read their blog because yep. <laughs> their blog is absolutely awesome i cannot say enough good things about what those guys do. It's amazing how well and how analytical, well thought out and just entertaining. You know, I like that They have a kind of a sense of humor too, which, which I always also tell founders that don't take yourself too serious, show who your personality yeah. is. And hopefully you have a personality because yep. if you don't, this is going to be a tough slog. <laughs> it's, yeah. You could tell with Ahrefs, they have a, like a really good personality. I was at one of their conferences and the one of like their, I guess their VP of marketing was speaking and he was pretty funny. And, and it's great that they have a personality because they, they will say like, Hey, like we know there's other funded competitors out there and there's, they're raising millions of dollars, but their data, they like their data set sucks. Like we're much better than them. We don't have yeah. no clue what they're doing with their money. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's like true. Like yeah. the self-funded company is killing 
everybody that's funded out in Silicon Valley and nobody knows about them, but yet like, like you yeah, said I before, mean, their blog is massive. And again, well done. And again, master's class in content marketing, like that's the yeah. way to go. But you know, it's the same thing with like Basecamp. It used to be 37 signals, you know, same thing, bootstrapped millions of customers. That's their story. Mm-hmm. And the reason why their story is so powerful is that you almost want to root for them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I do. I love the fact that they're bootstrapped. haven't taken any venture money. I mean, I think that's great. They're bootstrapped. Uh, I mean, I think one of their, Jason Fried and what David Hanemeyer Hansen, yeah. I follow them on Twitter, read almost everything they do, love yeah. their podcasts. And plus for me, I mean, probably for us as a like engineering background, I love that DHH, David Hanemeyer Hanser also created Ruby on Rails, which yeah. is like used by hundreds of people, like tons of companies out there use it, which is insane. insane. Uh, I would just think like that his pure work output is running this multi-million dollar company and also creating this framework and been running for over 10 years now, constant updates and just for free. It's just yeah. so crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the entrepreneur spirit too. Yep. I mean, I think that's the one thing that's really interesting about entrepreneurs is that they will want to help each other out, even if they're competitors, because this job's so hard yep. <laughs> that it's almost a roll of the dice. I mean, some, are, some entrepreneurs aren't like that. So there's always yeah. those in the pack that need to be weeded out. But in I think general, in general, most, I think it sort of goes back to kind of what we were saying before that story of as you've done more startups and you've seen more things, you realize that your tactics and techniques are going to be so different than anyone in that same space as you, the way you think of things, the way your own background has shaped you and the way you think about your startup it could be the same idea, but you're going to execute on it differently. And that's why it's totally fine to help other people out. I reach, people reach out to me all the time for, Hey, Kevin, I need leads. It's like, okay, great. Here's a lead that you can use for me because I can't do them. It's not, it's not my target market. We're, we'll do Facebook ads, but you're the way you're doing it is different than I am. I don't sell this sort of Facebook service that you're doing. Like you sell Facebook, but we sell it like a different way that we know we're good at. Yeah, totally. And I think that's the, the you know, the beautiful thing about the entrepreneur community, and I think should be celebrated more. I think we should put it out there that the reason why we have a resilient community is because we help each other out and we're not afraid of failure. But the thing that we also have to realize is that we have to be more inclusive. We have to give those people that don't have the opportunity, the opportunity, and really teach in the next generation of entrepreneurs, because I'm, pretty convinced that the only way we're going to solve some of the biggest challenges in the world is through entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Yeah, exactly what you said. Like myself, looking back, there's so many people out there that helped me. And I've realized like, wow, like I would just randomly email people and they would answer me back. And then I'm just like, holy crap. Like I was just like, I have no clue how you were doing it. Looking back, I'm like, you had like a really big company. Like, and yeah, like my email from this random person, it was just like, and I was looking through some emails from my old email account, like maybe like six months ago. And I was just like, I emailed this designer that was, I think right now is maybe works at Dribbble. Um, his name was Raji King. And I was like, wow, like he emailed my email that had like 20 misspellings in it. I was like, this is crazy. And like, he's a famous designer now. And I've always looked up to him and I was just like, holy shit. Like, just like, I can't believe that was a thing people did or, or they would respond to stuff. Yeah. I mean, in- most likely you told a pretty good story, right? Yeah. I mean, whatever you said got the desired result. 
And that's, you know, bringing it back to stories and the stories we tell each other, our potential customers and how we develop that as entrepreneurs. Yeah. That's, that's what we need to do. You know, how are we going to convince people that our way, our vision mm-hmm. is something they should latch onto or something they should support? Yeah. Yeah. And this goes back to kind of like storytelling with kind of just in, uh, similar to your entrepreneurship. It's leadership is really a storytelling, getting people to follow you because they believe in what you have to say. And this helps you out with kind of like leadership of your company. People want to believe in that story that you're telling for that company that you're selling, because that's sort of going to help you recruit better people, people that believe in you and in sort of the mission or the story that you have to tell them. Because if it's authentic and real, it's like, yeah, this is what I'm trying to do. And this is why you should come help me and or us solve this problem, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I used to tell people that we're managers of humans, you know, like uh, leaders. Yeah. I said, you just have to realize you have no control over anything. Yeah. And they're like, no, I'm the boss. And I'm like, no, you may be the boss, but you have no control over what people do. No. The you, only you... control you have is that you have to tell them a story that's going to convince them to do what you want them to do. Because no one, I mean, you really, what other lever are you going to have? Okay, you fire them. Okay, they go get another job. But you have no control. Your whole job as a leader is to say, this is where we're going. I want you to be part of the fellowship. I want you on the journey with me. Come be a hero. And then let's go. <laughs> I mean, that's... That's really what it is. Because it. it's essentially as your company gets bigger and you grow, like you can't have so much of that one-on-one time with them, but they, everybody around the company goes similar to what you're saying before, where that story that, that you've told them needs to get repeated over and over again during every sort of hand, all hands meeting, sort of anything that you're sort of questioning saying, this is, this is our ethos. This is our story. This is why we're doing the way we're, this is why we're doing the, this, the, this exact way. Cause we're all believe in this sort of mission, essentially your story that we've been told that we, we want to believe in. Yeah. And I think as leaders, and you know all entrepreneurs are leaders in their own right that's why we have to learn how to tell better stories we have to learn how to articulate our vision in really simple concise compelling language that can be repeated over and over and over again and i have one last question for you do you think it's important for entrepreneurs or founders to have sort of like their mission statements or their founding statements like super early on in their company? How do you sort of advise them for something like this? Yeah. I mean, it's important to have kind of a narrative first before the mission, vision, and values start to coalesce. It'll always coalesce around the narrative, right? So, and, and I always try to have people do a narrative that's, it's it's focused on kind of why you're doing it, what makes you unique, and that you're trying to solve in the world. Because all of those things are important for people. I mean, people seek out products to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. If you can solve their problem, then they'll buy your product. So before any of the mission, vision, values is even laid down, you have to have that narrative, the business narrative, the PR narrative, the product narrative nailed. Yep. Because that flow, everything else flows from there. So once that's established, then soon after, I always recommend to sort of say what you stand for. Because you want to also tell that story 
and to attract the right people. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you have some smart person, they may not be right for you. This yep. doesn't work out. They might not, they be, not, right. Right. They might not be right for you, but also you can get a really great person that is at a company that they don't believe in that mission statement or values and can come to your company very early on. And they could be a, such a great A player because we've seen that happen before as well. They just don't believe in other company's mission, even though they're getting paid exceptionally well. And I think we're seeing this a lot right yeah. now with like companies like Facebook, Uber, uh, any sort of these companies are sort of having some sort of issues, you know, there's great people there, you know, but they kind of sometimes maybe don't believe in that mission that they have anymore when they first started. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, one of the most important things that I've found, and I think this is proven in research, although I don't quote me on where to get it, <laughs> is that people want, you know, they want meaning in what they do beyond money, fame, fortune, and prestige. They want what they do to matter. Yep. And a lot of times, even if you get paid an exorbitant amount of money at a company, if you don't believe in what they're doing or you're just a hired gun, that doesn't feel good for you. I mean, you're not satisfied even though, you know, you've got all the, the trappings of, of success. So, yeah, if you've got a well-defined mission, vision, and values and a great narrative, yeah, you probably can. Well, no, actually you can attract <laughs> yeah, high quality people that believe in what you're doing and are willing to take the journey with you. You know, they want to be part of the fellowship, right? No, I definitely a hundred percent believe that. All right, Jared, where can we go to learn more about you, your services and kind of how you can help out other entrepreneurs and maybe learn about your book as well. Uh, so you can go to the blog, uh, the daily Uh, that's pretty much got all the stuff that I'm working on. You can also go to Twitter at the daily MBA. And then I do run a PR and marketing firm um, for, you know, startups. It's called the JSYPR.com. So, and you're accepting pretty easy to find me. I have a unique name. (laughs) Yes. I am accepting new clients. Yeah. I have accepted. Perfect. Yeah. I read. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. And like he said, please check out the daily MBA.com. Uh, he has, I think, over 100 pages of articles there from going back till 2009. So a lot of content on there to read and sort of get to know him and sort of the way you should sort of maybe storytell for, for your business or, or service that you have. Jerry, I thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, uh, appreciate you having me on, Kevin, and uh, looking forward to uh, doing it again sometime. Thank you so much. Have a great day. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.